Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. We are in Acts chapter 7, so go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 7 for our first-time guests or those who haven't been with us for a little bit. We are walking through the book of Acts systematically, verse by verse, uh, chapter by chapter. Um, So far, we are gone through the first six chapters, and chapter 6, we see a man named Stephen um, performing miracles, doing great things for God because... Uh, get arrested and accused of blasphemy, which sounds funny in today's society, but back then it was no joke. Anybody who'd speak against God, or speak against the temple, speak against the things that they deemed holy or sacred, was considered a blasphemer. And somebody who would create, who had blasphemy, the, the best way to deal with blasphemy is to hit them in the head with a bunch of rocks till they died. I don't, I'm not quite sure why that escalated so quickly, but it did. Um, And Stephen is wrongly, I need to emphasize that, wrongly accused. In chapter 6, we see that they try to debate Stephen, but Stephen, being filled with the Holy Spirit, ran circles around them, but because they were undone, they decided to pay people to lie against them. Nowadays, people will lie against you for free, so they got a good bargain today. Um, They lied against him. He's standing before the religious leaders. Mind you, the high priest is sitting there in front of him, or, or, yeah, in front of him. Uh, The same man who most likely was the same high priest who uh, condemned Jesus to death is sitting there looking at Stephen to condemn him to death. And Stephen is in the middle of what they had asked for him to do, which would be to have his... um, Uh, argument of innocence. But Stephen honestly couldn't care less about his argument of innocence. He is here to do one thing and one thing only, and that is to preach Jesus even at his own physical peril. Think about that. Understanding that these men already have blood on their hands, and you have been preaching that these men have blood on their hands, And now you're willing to stand before these same men and preach the truth of God's word, knowing that you take your life at great risk. And I find that interesting because uh, nowadays what we want to do is we want to hide a track in toilet paper so when somebody goes to the bathroom it falls out because we're too ashamed to say Jesus. Or when somebody asks, do you follow Jesus? And you go through this big, huge spiel about spirituality. Question, do you follow Jesus? Yes, should be all it is. Yeah. I mean, it's that simple, but you don't have to talk about how God is big and we don't understand his ways. And, and that's, Don't justify somebody else's wrongness for your truth. The truth is important. And the truth is this, there is but one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus. There are many ways to foe spirituality, But there's one way. There's many ways to make you feel good about yourself, but there's one way to God. There's many ways that can do good deeds, but there's one access to heaven. He is the gatekeeper. He is the one who allows those in who follow him. It is but one. His name is Jesus. This is the message Stephen is preaching. So far, he's walked through Abraham. He talked about how God is not confined to a geographical location. 
He's walked through all of those things that's taken place, and now we see him in verse, we'll start off with nine because I'm not sure if I went there, about the patriarchs. Um, and it says this in verse nine, and the patriarchs becoming envious sold Joseph into Egypt. But when God was with him and delivered him out of all of his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he made him governor over Egypt and all of his house. Now a famine of great trouble came over the land of Egypt and Canaan, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was a grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And the second time Joseph was made known to his brothers, and Joseph his family became known to the Pharaohs, then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all of his relatives to him, 75 people. That's a family reunion. That's a lot. Imagine going to the Mexican restaurant and saying, table for 75. I mean, golly. So Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died. He and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem, and they laid in the tomb that Abraham bought for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. At the very beginning, it says in verse 9, and God was with him. You notice that's the very first thing that he breaks out is this, is that God is with him him. He's looking at these men saying, you may be in the promised land, but even before all of this, and we were bound up, and we were in a land that we weren't needing to be in, that wasn't our promised land, that God was still with people. I know right now, you may not be, listen to me, in 2023, in the exact spot, in the exact place that you want to be in, but you are in the right place at the right time, and I want you to hear me when I say, God is with you. Everything may be going wrong, but God is with you. Chaos may be ensuing, but God is with you. Here's the greatest part of this whole part right here, and that is this. You don't always have to have the land of promise to have the promise keeper with you. He is with you in the good times, He is with you in the bad times. And it's not that I'm anti-faith by saying there's bad times. Has anybody ever had a bad time in the midst of some faithful moments? Absolutely. Faith does not mean no bad times. Faith actually means you're going to have bad times and you need said faith to push through bad times. Just because you give your life to Christ is not an absence of hard moments of your life. But there is a promise. There is a promise that even in the moments of the hard times that he is going to be with you. Yes. I was in Bible school 20-something years ago. The first round, okay. Um, and I was seeking after God with everything that I have. And you know what's crazy is I had this moment in my life that had an encounter with God. It was an encounter where I found myself in worship crying. 
And if you know me, I had my tear ducts removed. I do not cry. Uh, I, I am not an emotional individual when it comes to tears, but in that moment, I'm sobbing. Some people cry. We, we were at the football game yesterday, and they did the flyover, and this lady is just sobbing. We went last year. My mom cried at the band. So some people just cry over anything. I'm not that guy. It's not who I am. So if you see me in worship and I'm sobbing, ask yourself, how come I'm not? Because God is obviously here. No, um, it is one of those moments I am, and it's not one of those I got my hand raised and I've got a, one solitary tear. It's the ugly cry. It's uh, uh, like somebody's like, is he hyperventilating? Snots everywhere. One of those cries and those moments, you know what I'm talking about, where you just don't care. You completely forget everything. I was crying so hard. The next morning I had busted blood vessels in my head. I mean, I was purging something out. Maybe it was all my demons from high school. I'm not quite sure. But there was a moment with God and there was something taking place and I was just losing my mind. And it's one of those things where you lose your mind that you're embarrassing other people kind of losing your minds. You know, where somebody just walks up to you and they put your hand on your shoulder like, hey Bubba, take it down 20%. I'm just, I mean, just boom, losing it. I'm 18 years old in the presence of God, sobbing. He was with me. So the next day, can anybody guess what I would do the next day? Went back into prayer. Why? Because I want that same experience again. And he was not there. So I went back into the sanctuary at the exact same spot that I cried. I'm like, well, maybe it's here. There was nothing but silence. So then I, I pulled up our sheets on what we played for worship, and I put the tracks on. And I, I, I'm duplicating the scenario to find God and to, to, as if that song in that seat at that moment with the lights on, and I turned the lights on in the sanctuary, my pastor would have been ticked. Like I'm by myself trying to set up this perfect scenario to have this encounter, but there was nothing in that moment. There was nothing that was taking place. We move on. Weeks go by, months go by. He's there. We're having moments of prayer. We're having, but it wasn't the same. Y'all know what I'm talking like. One of those God encounters that shake you to your core that I remember 20 something years later. Fast forward eight years. I'm at a retreat. I'm in a house and there's uh, about a half a dozen people there and somebody's playing a guitar. Not great plucking, if you will, and it has been a long day, like a long day, and it is a time for one of our night times where that we're going to be having worship, and, and I'm from the, from the old school where when we worship, we use every part of our being. We raise our hands. We walk around. We, it's one of those, like, this is what we're going to do, but I'm exhausted, and I thought, man, I'm just, I'm going to look spiritual, but not be spiritual. Do you know what I'm talking about? And so I, like, sit down on that couch, and I got my hands in my head, and I'm like, oh, like, I'm honest to God, falling asleep. Looking spiritual, but not. Out of nowhere, all of a sudden, my, 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 my hair starts standing up on my arm. I start getting butterflies in my stomach. And I'm like, oh, he's here. I, I, you know, God has these tales. Like, when, when, when he walks into the room, things change. And when he walked into that one day, butterflies hair stands up. I got nervous. Like all of my, my, my senses were heightened, all those things. And like, he's here. And I cried. And so I'm like, and so I'm sitting there going, 
oh no, he's here. Oh no, he's here. And I find myself, I roll over on the couch, on my knees, and floodgates open up, snot all over the place. Somebody comes walking up like, hey bud, like, we're moving on. 30 minutes, I was on the ground. They were ready to talk. Time stood still, losing my mind. And I sat up and I asked God later on, God, why? Why did you do that then? He said something very profound, and that was this. I want to. That was it. I want to. Yes, sir. God spoke to me in that moment that it's not by my hands raising or running around or lack of hand raising and running around. It's not because I want to do something or don't want to do something. It's the fact that he has this crazy idea that he's God. And he can do what he wants, when he wants. If there was a song that would, that would floodgate God's glory into this place, can I tell you, we would play that song on repeat, nonstop. But it's not a song. It's an experience with him. It's hearts that are connecting with him. Fast forward six months, I'm walking through Walmart. Minding my business, all of a sudden, butterflies. Hair stands up, I'm like... I'm getting panicked. I'm like, I'm not losing my mind on aisle 3B in the middle of Walmart, and I beeline it. I mean, beeline it for the dressing room. And I get in, and you know what? I hear him laughing at me. <laughs> I'm sitting there like, you, oh, he's like, gotcha. And then that was it. Like, there was no moment, there was no nothing. It was just like this whole idea that God knows where you are, even if you don't know where you are. That he can find you at an altar, he can find you at a house, and he can find you at a Walmart. God is big enough to know where you are, even if you don't know where you are. And I love this idea that they're not in the place they want to be, but God is with him. Yes. <laughs> he is the God that reigns over all things. And Stephen is standing there saying, Abraham didn't need a temple. He's not speaking ill about the temple. He's just saying he didn't need one. He's standing there saying Joseph didn't even need to be in Israel. He was in Egypt, who they despised, and God was with him. It says they became envious and sold Jason, Jason Joseph. I just, I think, I think it's interesting here is that not only does God not need a locational spot that's going on, the second thing here is that um, there is a habit of people rejecting God's anointed. And he looks at them and goes, and Joseph, God was with Joseph. And the patriarchs sold him into slavery. There's this whole idea here is God knows where you are and even if the same people who are supposed to be on your side and rooting you on turn their back on you, he will make a way. We have this idea in our culture nowadays about haters and people who are against us. And can I tell you, the vast majority of people really don't care. You are not that important. Sorry, pop that bubble. I am not that important. But there is this notion that even if the stars do align and people are actively against me, that there is one God who is for me even in that moment. And I love this because we don't wrestle against this flesh and blood. 
But we wrestle against the principalities and powers, all the things that are trying to do this. Hold back, not me, hold back God's plan. I need you to understand this. This Bible is not about you. This is harsh. And I know we live in a weird world right now, but this is not about you. This is not about me. This is about the goodness of God throughout humanity and how he is still good today. But if I make this about me, then it's everything and everybody is against me, but it's not. The enemy, can I tell you, he's not even against you. He's against the God that's inside of you. He's trying to stop the plans of God, and you have aligned yourself with God. So by definition, he's trying to stop you. It's the equivalent of what's taking place right now in the war in in, in Ukraine and Russia. I don't personally believe that either side of the party is against every individual soldier, but they're against the plan of the opposing nation. And that poor soldier is in the way of said plan. And here's where you are right now. God has a plan and a purpose for the entire human race. You are part of that plan. You are part of that purpose. But you are not the plan and the purpose. The plan was Jesus. Don't get this twisted, please. This self-made gospel that we're living in today, that everything is about me, that I am David, I am Moses, I am Abraham. I'm going to find my... Come on, y'all. You're not Noah. There may be a flood, but you're not Noah. You can take principles of Scripture and apply them to your life, but the moment that we become these individuals and I'm like David, no, you're not. Don't go grab a slingshot and look for somebody tall. Easy. You know, Kim. Okay, okay. Anybody wondering, watch one of our old videos where Pastor Allen had me shoot an arrow in a wall. The hole is still there. Let's fast forward. Verse 17. But when, <clears throat> when the time of the promise drew near, which God has sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt. Till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they may not live. At this time, Moses was born. And was well pleasing to God. And he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But then when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. And it says at this time, Moses was born and was well pleasing. In a lot of ways, you'll see that Moses will parallel the story of Jesus. He too was born. He too was rejected. He too was assaulted. And his time 
mass genocide was taking place in Moses. Mass genocide took place with Jesus. You'll see some parallels that are taking place here. But we notice in verse 22, it says that he was mighty in words and deed. And just like Jesus, who came after him, who was mighty in words and deed. Later on, Moses, about 80 years, uh, would be in Mount Sinai. Jesus would go to the same mountain. We'd see some of these things. Moses was a shepherd to his people. Jesus was a shepherd to his people. And you'll, you'll see that in this moment, Stephen is paralleling these two. Because to these men that are sitting there, Moses is second to God. And Stephen is standing here going, you missed the second. You missed the main deal. While Moses is great, Jesus is greater. And I noticed this, that if we're going to tag in, and there's no way we're finishing chapter 7 today, um, that if we're going to tag into this, and that is, this is something that's interesting, what was taking place to the Israelites at this time, to the children of Israel, Abraham, they were being assaulted, persecuted, destroyed by a Pharaoh who did what? Not know Joseph. Let's play that back for just a quick second. And it says this. Oh, where my pages go? I love this. This man dealt treacherously with our people. I don't love that part. And now oppressed our forefathers, making them expose the babies that they may not live. Pause. Next part. At this time, Moses was born. In a time in a history where all hell is breaking loose. In a time and a history where everything that seems to be wrong is now permitted by all the leadership. In a time and a history right now where everything that is going wrong, such as genocide over an entire people, God sends Moses. Not grown-up Moses. Not splitting the Red Sea Moses. Not Moses who is confident in his calling Moses. He sends a child into this world. And I want you to hear me very clear. There is a lot of junk going around in our world. And our God did not send the perfection of who it needs to be. He sends you into this world to be an answer. But I'm not ready. Neither was Moses. But I'm not smart. Neither was Moses. But I'm not big. Neither was Moses. He sends an infants, an infant that can be killed at any given moment into this world as the answer to the problem. The entire universe looks and goes, there's a problem happening in Egypt. God's answer was, I'll send a child. You don't have to be perfect to be used by God. You have to be willing You don't have to be grown up spiritually. You have to be willing to be used. You don't have to know all the answers. And we're going to watch Moses' life was a train wreck. But he would say, yes, a righteous man falls seven times but gets up eight. There is this big, huge idea that's taking place here. Is you're not looking for perfection. He's looking for progress. Will you get up? Will you look at what's happening in this world and not go, that's the next generation's problem? Will you look at what's happening in America, in in Alabama, in Montgomery, in the River Region? Are you going to look at it all and go, oh, that's not my problem. That's for somebody else who's more articulate. That's for somebody else who's more rich. That's for somebody else who's more powerful. Or do you stand up and say, God sent me to this earth for such a time as this? 
It may be a small piece of the puzzle, but I'll say yes to my piece. It may be a big piece of the puzzle, and I'll say yes to his plans. At the end of the day, God, it's your plans, it's your will, it's your way, not mine. Will you submit your life to him? And now when, it, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart, verse 23, this is Moses, to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffered wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed. And he struck down the Egyptian, for he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hands. But they did not understand. And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting, and he tried to reconcile them together, saying, Man, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did this to his neighbor wrongly pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then, at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Median, where he had two sons. Let's unpack this. When Moses was my age, <clears throat> he decided to go and do something for his brethren. When he turned 40, he decided that he was going to go and help those less fortunate than he. He had decided that for the last 40 years, sorry, 39 years and nine months, that he was living in the Pharaoh's house, but now all of a sudden he wants to relate and connect with his roots, if you will. He has decided that he's going to go back and help his people. He watches one of his subjects, an Egyptian, strike and hurt one of his brethren in, in, in rage and in indignation. Moses defends him to the death. He ends up killing this man. And I... And I find it interesting because it says right here, for he, Moses, supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand. So it tells me this, before the burning bush, Moses had an idea that he was called for greatness. We see this burning bush moment as if it was an awakening inside of Moses, like, oh, I had no idea. I was just going to be a shepherd for the rest of my life, but now I guess, God. No, very clear right here. Before there was a burning bush, before there was a time of meeting, before he got married, before he had kids, before all of those things, Moses had it in his heart at a young age that he was called to be a deliverer. And at 40, Moses determined that this was the time. There's no mentioning here of God's timing. Moses goes, I've checked on my boxes. It's time. Viva la revolution. Like, he, he's, he, he's walking through life doing his thing. And he sees his moment. And in his head, maybe I'm the only one who does this too, but do you ever, do you ever have a moment where you go, they're going to do this, I'm going to do that, they're going to say this, I'm going to say this, and, and you play the whole thing out in your mind before it even happens? Is anybody else? So this is Moses watching this thing going, okay, cool, okay, okay. So I'll... I'll defend, and they're going to look up and go, Moses, Moses, Moses. And I'm going to be like, what? What do you mean, Moses? And they're going to be like, you're our Savior. You're the one. He's going to be like, I think I am. Let's do this. And then we're going to all rally together, and we're going to overthrow Egypt, and we're going we're to take back what was rightfully ours. And he's, 
thinking all of this up. And so he goes, he does his part and kills the guy. And the guy's like, what'd you do? And they run off. And then they look at Moses and goes, so what do you think? You're a big shot now. You go and kill one guy and what, you're going to rule over us? Who made you God? Who put you in charge, Moses? Well, now Moses goes, well, that didn't work out like I thought. No one chanted my name. I didn't get on somebody's shoulders. No one put Gatorade on my head and said, finally. Like, there was no champion's welcome. In fact, they're criticizing me for doing a good thing. See, this is what takes place in our lives. God's timing is impeccable. Don't find it weird when you decide to serve God and you decide to do the right thing, and you decide to change your life, and you have these people, and you have these friends, and you have this family that has been begging for you to get saved and begging for you to turn your life around, that all of a sudden you get saved and go, hey, can I tell you what God showed me? And they go, I'm sorry, when did you become spiritual? When, when did you get more revelation than me? I prayed you into the kingdom. Don't, don't think you can come to me and point out a weed in my garden. I know your past. I know all the junk that's in your life. You can, you can go talk to them. You can, go, you can go pull weeds in Kim's garden because she's got a lot. <laughs> but don't you dare come talk to me about my life. Don't you dare look at me and tell me my issues. You can go tell somebody else, but not, don't, don't forget who you're. <laughs> you don't know who you are. I know who I am. This is the conversation that's taking place because this is what will happen in your life. That's what's happened in my life. The amount of times I was Alan's boy, by the way, it's my dad's name. The, the amount of time that I, I was just, aren't you just the janitor? Why is the landscaper getting up to speak? I saw him cutting, like, cutting grass. That's what you do, right? You're, you're going through all of these things can I tell you what's really weird? Being raised at this school, getting spanked by people in the audience. <laughs> Going to parties with Shonda, who's now my youth leader. Having my life exposed. And you stand there and go, you have all of this opposition on a regular basis before you, but does that change the calling that God's placed inside of you? And this is where you look with life. People will always talk. And while I would love for people to have confirmation about my calling, they don't dictate my calling God is the one that calls. God is the one that confirms. And through the walk with God, there will be confirmation with signs, wonders, with actions to prove said calling. That's what Moses had the signs when it was God's season. How come God didn't show up right then and be like, burning bush in front of all these people? This is the one, stupid. Shut up. He, he doesn't. God allows Moses to get ridiculed and then to leave. Think about that. Couldn't God just sent the burning bush then in front of his people? 
But whoa, yo, yo, I understand you don't know him. Hi, guys, this is Moses, your, your deliverer. Moses, this is your people. I am God. I am he. Take your shoes off, everybody. Holy ground, that whole thing. But he doesn't. He, he allows Moses to go to isolation. Because in moments of our lives, of severe pressure, isolation creates reliability on who God is. And when everybody seemingly is against you, it forces me to have a connection with the one who is for me. And you cannot minimize seasons of solitude. Again, I'm not saying you decide I'm going to walk away from church and not be anything. But there's moments in our lives that seemingly God goes, where's all my friends, God? Where's all the people, God? How come everybody who was saying I'm a ride or die is now trying to kill me? What, what's happening? And God's going, it's okay. Pull closer to me and I will develop. You understand, a seed that is now turned into a tree was first a seed that had to go down into the earth to be covered up, to be alone, to rip apart, to die, to grow. And you and my life is no different. And a lot of times in our lives, we have this idea that we're going to go from glory to glory. But sometimes from glory to glory is a death trench. Come on, somebody. Sometimes there's these moments of I'm on top of the world. I'm beneath the world. I'm on top of the world. I'm beneath the world. And you're going to see this moment because God is continually going to take you to a place to go, nope, I need to kill that so that more can grow. Nope, I need to kill that so that more can grow. And let me tell you, that happens in isolation. Your friends, your families, they can root you on. They can pray for you. They can hashtag tweet all the stuff that you wanted to be. But the reality is it is your life. It is your God. And you two alone are going to work on you. Because the moment that I cling myself to an Elaine to be the one who gives me all the answers, the one who gives me all the prophetic words, the one who gives me all the things that I need, now I have substituted God Almighty for a person. And I cannot live my life continually getting all of my nutrients from horizontal relationships and not have my life source from God. My relationships with Elaine are so great. My relationships with prophetic words from my people are wonderful. I love them. I need them. Please. But what they should be is an evidence of what took place in the private time with God. God, did you really say that? Hey, Pete, I have a word that I want you to understand. I was praying about you and I felt like God said blah, blah, blah. And I go, guess he did. But what I shouldn't do is ignore my private time with God and go, hey, Lane, can you give me something? Like, what am I supposed to do? Be the oracle for God. Because this is what the children of Israel wanted, no? Let's fast forward 60 years. Moses, you just talk to God for us. Moses, you just do all of that and just let us know what he says. We're going to go through next week when God says go out of this land. And he, we walk through the plagues and we walk through all of that stuff. But the truth of the matter is, is that God never intended for Moses to be more than just a deliverer. He said, let my people go out and worship me. Let my people come to this mountain and experience me. They said no and created this moment of a Moses to be our sole mouthpiece. That was the whole point when the veil was ripped in the temple was to say no longer do you have to have Caiaphas as the sole person to speak to you. Now every single one of you can experience his glory and experience his voice right now. 
Moses was sent into the wilderness, into isolation. He did all of those things. Can I tell you, that was God's plan. God's plan isn't always comfortable. God's plan isn't always glorious on the outside. Sometimes a beautiful gift is wrapped up in ugly wrapping paper. And in this moment, Moses is sent isolated from his people to spend time alone in development with God Almighty. And he's standing here saying, you've rejected Jesus just like they rejected Moses. The first time Moses came to your people, y'all rejected him. Jesus came to you and y'all rejected him. Stephen continues to develop a theme that Jesus is found all throughout the Old Testament. They eventually accepted Joseph the second time, right? His brothers finally came back and said, great. They eventually accepted Moses too. Stephen is saying, you rejected him the first time, here's your second shot. What are you going to do? He's standing there, painting this picture. That Joseph came and your people rejected him. He kind of actually calls him the patriarch. The, the, the people of our faith, the leaders of our faith, hated Joseph. And they sold him into slavery. And then they came back around and realized, yes, he was right. And he's like, it's okay. Sometimes we don't get it the first time. How about this? Moses came to your people. Y'all hated him, and he came back a second round time, and y'all loved Moses. You love, everybody loves Moses, right? But you didn't the first time. And Jesus came, and no one liked him. But here he is again. What are you going to do? And they're like, we still don't like him. You know, we have this idea that God is the God of the second chance, the third chance, the fourth chance, the fifth chance, and, and that's a double-sided coin. It's a two-sided coin, Thomas, because you'll never have the exact same chance again. I don't get today over. I can re-preach this same message tomorrow, but I don't get today again. It's done. But eventually, time does run out. Eventually, my voice will be silenced. It will be in the ground. It will be under the dirt. It will, will, I will be in glory, and I will not have this. And this is where we find today's wrap-up is this. How many times will you reject Jesus before you say yes? Is it once? Is it twice? Is it four times? Is it eight times? Today? Tomorrow? He's looking at them going, you missed it the first round, but there's grace for the second. But the problem is, is that we're not sure if grace is going to be here tomorrow. You can get your calendar and you can fast forward on your phone 10, 20, 30 years. And you can make an appointment 10, 20, 30 years from now on your phone. But even though you pencil it in, doesn't mean that you're still going to have breath in your lungs 10, 20, and 30 years from now. I'm not trying to be morbid, but there's no promise that you're going to have breath in your lungs 10, 20 hours from now. 
There's no promise at all that on your way to the restaurant that something bad doesn't take place. But what are you going to do? Because we have these moments that God freezes in time. And this is one of those moments. Will you continue to serve and not, will you continue to not serve me? Or will you today be the day where you say yes? We've all, every one of us have rejected Jesus at least once. At least once. Numerous times. Paul looks and goes, y'all didn't even want to know my track record. Paul's walking this whole walk. And like we talked about last week, the reason we know that they wanted to stone the disciples, John, John and Peter, in Acts chapter 5. The reason we know that they lied against Stephen in Acts chapter 6 is because Paul was there the entire time. Paul was one of the ones who tried to debate and got beat, and he was so enraged, he paid people to lie to murder. Paul was one of the ones sitting in the council of the synagogue, and we know this in Acts chapter 25, who cast a vote to kill Peter and John. Paul's looking at you today, and I'm looking at you today going, how many times will you reject before you say yes, God? And here's the beautiful part. Saying yes today does not mean tomorrow is perfect. Saying yes today does not mean you don't struggle tomorrow. Saying yes today does not mean you don't have temptations in 10 minutes. Saying yes today does not mean that you don't have hiccups. It does not mean that you don't have problems. Saying yes today does not mean that everything from this moment on is going to be nothing but spirituality and fantasticness because the flesh is real and it is still active. But a righteous man gets up. Saying yesterday means that you may say no tomorrow and stumble, but get back up and say yes. Saying yesterday may mean that you may trip and fall in 20 minutes, but get back up and have a conversation. Stumbling does not discredit you from continuing to say yes. Stumbling is an indication of a weed that we need to pull out of your garden. It's those things we work on. Why did I just do that? Why did I just say that? Why did I just go there? Why did I just drink that? Why did I just eat that? Why am, why am I looking at that? Why am I hanging out with that person? Those stumbling moments should cause us to go, what is happening on my inside? And the Holy Spirit's going, hey, we can pull that out. Hey, we can deal with that. Hey, we can walk with me, and as you walk with me, you're going to trip and fall, but hey, you know what? We'll clean the mess. I love my kids with all my heart, but they are some of the messiest people I've ever met in my life. And if you go into their room right now in the middle of the night, uh, what's on the inside of you will be revealed when you step on something. <laughs> on Friday morning, I went to wake them up to take them to school. I had asked them the night before to clean up. They assured me they had cleaned up. Did I follow through? I took their word, Bill. <laughs> but when I opened the door and I took that first step and I tripped and then I went to go grab something that was supposed to be there and it wasn't there. It was a shirt that's just hanging on a bunk bed and it slips and I keep falling and I barrel roll into the TV, uh, in, into the nightstand, the TV falls, I catch it, and my son sits up and goes, Dad, be careful. <laughs> like, you're caring about your TV right now, my guy. Like, this is really, this is real life right happening. 
Can I tell you? They made a mess. I tripped and I fell. But you know what? That doesn't disqualify a relationship. What we do now is go, hey, pick that up. As your dad, let's clean that up. Hey, you see that over there? Let's clean that up. I, I didn't clean their room. But one thing that I will do is I'll point out some of the areas that need to be cleaned. Hey, you need to pick that shirt up, bub. Hey, sweetie, you need to make that bed. Hey, you, gotta, you missed that toy. You, it's right there. You missed that toy. Why? Those are tripping hazards. That's not a bad parent. It's love. And God trains us the same way. In the living room of your heart, he walks in and goes, you're going to trip over that. Let's pick that up. Hey, let's, let's, let's clean that mess. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is not an indication of condemnation of your lack of relationship, but it actually is an indication of relationship. The moment you start going, oh, I'm horrible, I can't believe I did that, Holy Spirit's going, hey, that's an indication you have a conscience that he's speaking through you. Then let's not take this into shame and throw ourselves on the ground and say, my dad hates me. I can't, I'm no longer you know, worthy to be your son. And my son rolls around on the ground and has a pity party. No. Him throwing himself on the ground, begging for my forgiveness and how horrible he is, doesn't restore my relationship with him. I go, stop being stupid. (laughs) Stand up. Pick up the toy. That's all I'm asking. That's what God's doing today. Will you continue to reject him today? Will you continue to ignore the mess? Will you quantify your mess as this is my, my history and this is my problem and if you knew all the things that were done to me, I promise you Moses' story is a lot worse than yours. I, I promise you that. But he had to clean up his mess. Today, so do you. Who will you choose today? Will you choose to continue to reject Jesus' life and plan for your life? Or will you say yes? And by saying yes, that means when he points out a mess and you clean it up. It's your choice. I can do an altar call. We can all stand up and say, I follow Jesus. But if I can be very transparent, I don't want to. I don't want to because you getting up here and me praying for you at this moment may feel really good. But that's not going to change the responsibility when you get in the car. So I'm going to leave it heavy. What will you do today? Yes or no? And you know what's great? In 10 minutes from now, when you're all walking out, this heaviness of feeling conviction, feeling the heaviness is going to lift. And then you will be left with your choice. Choose this day who you'll serve. Not perfection. But when you fall, figure out what tripped you and clean it up. If you can't do that, can I tell you, we have a wonderful people who can help. Come talk to me, Pastor Allen, Pastor Marsha. Come talk to Alinda. Come sit down with us and be like, I keep doing the same thing over and over again. Help me see my weeds in my garden. My dad can point out some weeds. <laughs> Ask me how I know. <laughs> but it's in love. Amen. And most of the weeds that I see, it's because I've had them myself. So I know what it's like. So choose today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for a time in your word. We thank you for a time in this place. God, we thank you that as we we wrap this up and we talked about Joseph and we're beginning to talk about Moses, that God, that you open our eyes to see and ears to hear what you want. 
the areas of our lives that we need to clean up, the areas of our lives that we need some, some, some fixing, if you will. God, I just thank you that you are the great gardener, that you can see it all, that you lovingly tell us what needs to happen because you know what's the right thing at the right season. And we just give you all the praise, glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. We love you guys. We will see you guys next Sunday. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.